at the Center for Education Research and Innovation, we're in the habit of asking questions that matter and looking for answers that impact. But how do you do that? How does a researcher get to that point? What we do know is that researchers are united in their curiosity. What we don't know is the stories behind the curiosity. Let's dive in. Hello everyone and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Curiosity Habit. Today I have a great, great pleasure to interview one of the people that I consider one of my mentors in my career since I joined medical education, Glenn Reger. He is the Associate Director of Research and a Senior Scientist at the Center for Health Education Scholarship at UBC. Thank welcome, Glenn. So it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here and I'm uh, excited to, to share some time with you. So before we get into matters, I wanted to share with everybody, because I think this is an experience that many people in the community have had with you. And it's, it's the fact that um, when I met Glenn, when I was beginning my, my professional career in, in, a, in medical education, and I was trying to figure out what was my place in the community. And I was grappling with this idea of like, do I have to change, change who I, I was? Because I was coming from a completely different discipline. And, and Glenn was instrumental in helping me think through the idea of what it means to be a scientist and more importantly, what I could bring differently to the community that could be helpful as opposed to changing who I was. And I know that this is not just me, that this has been a pattern for many people in the community. And that's the reason why I wanted to bring you into the curiosity habit because I know you have heard many of our journeys, um, but I wanted to see if you can share with us your own journey, which many, maybe not many people know about. So thank you for the opportunity to, for talking to us. So I wanna start with um, this piece when you, you were one of the pioneers in, in the medical education community in Canada, but you came from cognitive psychologists so I want to understand a little bit more if you can share with the listeners. How was that move? Why, why did you move? What triggered the move? And what was the intricacies of moving from that discipline to medical education? Uh, well, like many people of my generation, um, the reason that I got into medical education was because I fundamentally failed in my first career. Um, as a cognitive psychologist, I... Um, or as a PhD in cognitive psychology, I was uh, anticipating that I would get a job as a PhD in cognitive psychology at a university and do my do my typical thing as my professor had done, my supervisor had done. Um, but uh, I was on the market for um, uh, probably about uh, six months or so, and um, very little was coming up at the time. So. I ended up um, deciding that what I would do is take a postdoc uh, position and um, had applied for an NSERC postdoc position. Um, and while I was waiting for that, um, I needed to figure out how to make some money. So uh, at the time, my PhD supervisor, who was at McMaster University in psychology, um, had started making forays across the street to the medical center, wondering whether any of the work that he was doing had anything to do with the real world out there in some kind of place. And he bumped into Jeff Norman. And so um, they started talking and I happened to be pretty desperate for a job. So 
Jeff hired me as a research associate, and I did one or two studies, um, uh, you know, getting getting uh, salary from uh, one or two of his grants. Um, and I was doing that while I was essentially waiting to find out whether I would get the postdoc. And while I was in that um, position, um, one day I got a call from Jeff and he said, uh, I'm talking to this, I was just talking to this um, surgeon at the University of Toronto who wants to start up a research unit and he's looking for somebody, um, do you want a job? And so I, uh, um, I, I applied for the position and went over and met Richard Resnick, who um, was looking for a PhD to join him to develop um, what ultimately became the Wilson Center. And uh, so I, I, um, I just stumbled into this amazing job. And it's its, it's, it's, its own story as to how that particular conversation went. But um, it, uh, it just seemed like an interesting space to try to play. And it seemed very different um, from the career path that I had imagined, but sounded like an interesting one. And so I ended up taking the job. Um, ironically, I was, I, I was offered the job the same day I was offered the postdoc. So I literally had to make a decision as to whether I was going to continue on in cognitive psychology or take this new interesting direction in medical education. So how did you navigate uh, that piece of getting into a completely new discipline and probably not having too many people around to ask, like, what do people do here? What kind of research can I do? What's my niche kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think I was, um, I, I think I was lucky because, you know, Jeff Norman was down the street and Jeff was incredibly important in helping me um, get a little bit of a sense of what the space was all about. Um, Richard was always also very um, impressive in his ability to uh, you know, just help me sort of find my way at the beginning. He, I would say, um, I functioned almost like a research assistant, um, or uh, I guess probably um, functioned like the the PhD lead in his lab. Um, he had a couple of of master students through um, OISE, uh, through a fellowship, a surgical fellowship that he had, and so my first office was was uh, a desk with these two um, these two fellows, and uh, I just started talking to them and became de facto um, their informal supervisor, even if I wasn't their formal supervisor. Um, and that just kind of led into what happened next. And each person that I talked to became the next person that I would end up uh, working with and supporting. And different from most of the advice that we get, uh, you you have a different kind of uh, journey in the sense that instead of having a very unique, deep topic, you kind of delve with different topics, different people around. You have, you just recently wrote this paper about islands and archipelagos that I, I found really fascinating, the metaphor. How did you, that was, was that a, a decision that you made per se, or you just stumble in that and how that did it, did it evolve, evolve for you? I think in part it was, um, the nature of the job. Um, there was a large number of individuals in the um, University of Toronto area, the University of Toronto space, that were interested in uh, health professions education. Uh, and there was not a huge coordination of that. 
Um, Richard did have a vision of a big center, which ultimately became the Wilson Center. Um, and my job was sort of to grow interest in, in this idea of a center. Um, and so my, my primary purpose for the first little while was just to find people and help them think about what they would do so that when a center came into existence, um, there would be people who would be interested in populating it. So I, I think uh, in, in large part, I, um, I began because I um, was trying to just help people see the value in having these kinds of collaborations between mostly MDs and, and PhDs. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I was stuck with is I, I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about medical education. So uh, like I, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have even known how to ask a good question in medical education because I had no idea what medical education even was when I first got started. So I think that the other thing that that did for me was it allowed me to, um, to leverage other people's experiences and other people's interests. And, and that just became the de facto style of, of collaboration um, that continued on after that. Yeah, it sounds like it was like more like trial and error in asking the questions, trying to learn a little bit about the community by helping people around. So you got engaged in multiple kind of topics, I guess. Out of those topics, like, do you have any interesting, funny stories that you can tell us in relation to how people think about you as a researcher, like the things that you do research on that have surprised you maybe? I don't, I don't have an area of actual um, research. And I would say that most people, if you ask them, you know, what's, what's Glenn known for, what's Glenn famous for, um, I'm not sure that they would be able to necessarily say some, say a particular thing. I, individuals might, because they, because it's, because they've got an area, they might end up knowing about the work that I do in a particular area. But even when people call me, even now, when people call me and ask me to give a talk or something like that, um, when I say, okay, what, like, what do you want me to talk on? Their answer is almost always, I don't, I don't know, what do you talk on? Um, so I've always got this kind of big long list that I can just share with people and they can pick and choose among them. Um, so it's, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's been a different pattern because it's not like people say, um, you know, oh, he's famous for self-assessment or professionalism or teamwork or anything along that kind of line. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's a, um, it's, it's in part something that I even value. Um, I think that probably um, it's fair to say that I can't imagine anything more boring than being the person who knows more than anything about any, more than anyone else about a particular topic area. Yeah, and, and that takes me to the topic of your paper, if you can help us um, understand that connection, because I understand the notion of islands, but they are not never in nice, on the surface looks like they are in isolation, but they are not really, they can, be, they can become an archipelago. So can you share with us your thinking about that metaphor and how that help us think about different options for, for being a scientist? Um, yeah, so so it's um, for me, it's the it's the idea that um, each person that I work with has their program of research, um, and uh, 
and I'm very, you know, I'm thrilled. I'm ha- I'm very happy to have them own that domain and be known for that thing. Um, and so, I it's it's not my place to own that island. And as I just described, I wouldn't even want to own that island. You know, if you in order to really properly own it, you have to kind of really kind of delve into it at a really, really deep level. Um, and I'm happy to let people do that, find that space and support them in the, in the ways that they do it. Um, and so um, each of the people that I work with end up creating a content area, whether it's professionalism or self-assessment or feedback or whatever it is that it happens to be. Um, and, and, and so, you, you know, again, when people, you know, when somebody ends up saying, oh, we need somebody to come in and talk about feedback, um, they don't think of me, they think of Rola Ajawi or they think of the other people that I've collaborated with um, because those people really kind of own that island in a, in a very meaningful, in a very meaningful way. Um, and so in that sense, I, um, you know, once it's, once it's hit a certain stage, it takes on a life of its own and they can carry forward with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm really happy to, to let them do that. And I'm ready to move on to, you know, work with somebody who's developing their own idea around some other new space, whatever that space happens to be. So on, on those lines, how do you decide like the people or the topic that you want to engage with next, let's say? Um, I think the problems of medical education are fascinating. I think all the problems of medical education are fascinating. Um, I, I think that for me, the, um, the, the thing that determines whether I'm the person to support them is, is a couple of, couple of things. First of all, if there's somebody who's way more knowledgeable about the area that they're thinking about, who's right next door to me, then it would be foolish for me to, to, um, to, to supervise or support that person when there's a way better support next door. Um, so if somebody came to me and said, you know, I'm really interested in doing this study on, um, on uh, social networking, um, I wouldn't say, great, I'm happy to work with you. I would say, you know, Laura Nibbins right next door. Why wouldn't you go talk to her and, and, and meet up with her? Um, so in part, it's a, it's, it, it has to do with the fact that there's, um, it's kind of a novel space, a space that, that isn't owned by anybody close by um, who would be a more natural supervisor. Um, and that makes it for me a particularly fun problem because it's, a, it's kind of uncharted territory. And I like the uncharted territory parts of, um, of medical education. Um, the other thing I think that's really important for me is that, um, they are um, willing and able to um, appreciate the perspective that I bring to bear, which is clearly a cognitivist perspective on on the issues. Um, for me, it's always about the person. Um, the actor is is the center of the of the ideas that I work with, and so um, I don't bring a systems approach. I don't bring a social approach. I I bring a cognitivist approach, and. You know, as I try to learn and re, um, repeat back to the person and, and um, develop uh, a way of thinking and talking about the problem that they've got, if, if that works for them, 
then we're on the right path. If, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who, who so clearly is thinking like a systems engineer, um, then again, at some point along the way, they're dissatisfied with the way that I would move them. And if I can see that they're going to be dissatisfied with the way that, that I would move them, then there's no sense my trying to make them into a lousy version of me. They need to be a great version of them. And so I would send them to you so that you could help them figure out how to um, express what's in their head in a way that is feels authentic to them. So as a person who has been, uh, as I said at the beginning, one of the pioneers in the field and, and a scientist, um, what has been some of the turning points in your career that has given you the most memorable lessons that you have carried forward and shared with others? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess some of the earliest lessons that I, that I, or the most outstanding early lesson that I remember is discovering that I was a mentor. Um, that was a that was a bit of a shock to me actually the first time because I'd just gotten out of medical education, like I'd just gotten out of my PhD. Um, so here I was, um, you know, working with these people who were the same age as me and had the same, you know, level of training, if you will, in a different space. But um, and and so here we were working together, and I I thought we were just peers and collaborators, um, and and it it became it became apparent to me only afterwards, often when I did stupid things and, and made serious mistakes, um, that, that people, that, that I came to realize that people were treating me like a mentor. One of the earliest um, um, memories of that was the first time somebody tried to essentially come out from underneath the mentorship um, and strike out on their own, so to speak. Um, and I, and I, I thought we were, I thought we were colleagues. And so like, I was, I was having a really hard time figuring out why they suddenly cut me out of the relationship. Um, and so I like, you know, I, that happened twice. Once it went very badly and I unfortunately still don't have a good relationship with that person. Um, the second time um, the person was willing to kind of hack back and we worked it back. We worked it out until I finally understood what was going on is this person was trying to evolve independence as a researcher. And, and it was independence from me. It was like, I didn't didn't know you were dependent on me. I thought we were just playing together. Uh, And so that was, that was something that, that um, I I was, I was, I was fortunate to learn early um, once through a, um, through uh, an unfortunate experience. And once because I had somebody who was willing to just sit down with me and, and help me understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I became quite explicit and conscious and aware of my relationship with people in, in that kind of a context. And I, you know, I certainly didn't always do it right, but I, uh, I, I became more, more thoughtful and intentional about that process of supporting them until they needed to show that they didn't need support anymore and figuring out when that moment was when I needed to essentially get out of their way so that they could actually come up, become the, the, um, the person that they wanted to become, the scientist they wanted to become. What happens in, in the other di- direction when, when you know that the person is ready to take up on their own and they don't want to leave for any reason? Have you had those experiences? Um, 
yeah, I guess I guess I probably would say that I'd had one or two of those experiences. Um, it's um, it's uh, I, I think under those circumstances, it's just a matter for me. It's just a matter of um, expecting more of them in each in each iteration, um, and more often than not, where when it what where it really cleaves off is when they end up having somebody who wants them as a mentor. And then, and then it becomes a very different kind of relationship. And I kind of met a mentor, that individual, and then the the relationship clearly changes as I'm no longer a part of the research team per se, I'm, I'm separated from it. That's, that's a very good point. When somebody asks you to be a mentor, that would be a light moment, light bulb moment for sure. Um, what will be one unexpected but rewarding moment in your career uh, that you have experienced and could share with us? I think, I, I think one, of the, um, one of the most uh, powerful experiences that I've had, uh, one of the most important experiences I've had um, in my entire career is um, meeting and, and having the the fun of hiring and mentoring Lorelai Lingard. Um, I, uh, you know, before I met Lorelai, I was a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool um, uh, experimental researcher. Uh, I did lots of work on um, randomized controlled trials uh, and did a lot of work on measurement and assessment, uh, developing quantitative methodologies uh, and quantitative tools to assess medical education. Um, when Lorelai came in, um, it, it was um, very important to both of us um, that uh, we not turn her into a bad quantitative researcher, but ensure that she um, was the best qualitative researcher she could be in this context. Uh, and so in order to, to help her with that process, I had to learn a lot about the ways that she viewed the world and the ways that she saw the world. And, um, and I um, became a convert over time, such that I would say that I do almost no quantitative work anymore. Although every once in a while, I do have fun picking up a spreadsheet and playing around with a spreadsheet. Um, the vast majority of the questions that I ask uh, are questions that uh, are much more suitable to the uh, qualitative space. So, um, you know, one of the um, entirely unexpected and incredibly rewarding experiences was getting the, the, the pleasure of um, apprenticing myself to Lorelei as she was starting to figure out what her own place was in the field um, and, uh, and um, changing completely the way that I thought about what uh, a career path for myself would look like in terms of the kinds of research I would do. And, and that's a great example because um, one of the things that I have always liked about being in medical education research is the fact that we come, most people come from different places, uh, from different disciplines, different ways of thinking. So in reflecting back to um, the community as a, as a whole in, at a large, what, so I, I was trying to think, you, when you came to the community earlier on, you might have some ideas of where the community was going to move. Uh, how has it changed those ideas at the beginning to what the community is now? Uh, in, in terms of the evolution and how does it feel for you the direction it has taken so far? Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled with the um, 
with with the way that medical education, health professions education has evolved um, over the course of the period that I've been in it. Um, I um, I think the um, the uh, the amount of diversity of perspectives and ideas um, that we have been able to accommodate and incorporate uh, has been absolutely amazing. Um, and I am you know, thrilled to have been in on the ground floor of seeing that change happen, of, of moving from um, really what was a what was a almost exclusively quantitative um, space that was very, 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 very focused on uh, assessment um, and, and seeing it sort of expand out and really ask such a completely different and incredibly important set of questions. Um, I, I think that it's just been it's just been amazing, and I I could never have predicted how um, how impressively it has shifted in that way, uh, such that um, we can um, metabolize almost any perspective uh, and find ways to be able to take advantage of those perspectives, um, and uh, and and really um, that includes not only the perspectives of 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 different disciplines. Um, but also the, the fact that uh, we've found ways to incorporate um, learners into our, our thinking and, and their perspectives, as well as educators on the ground, as, as well as um, administrators and so forth. So, uh, you know, I really, I think that the, the, um, that notion of uh, is this, this broad playing field where we all come together and find ways to effectively negotiate um, our interests such that we um, are, have a much more sophisticated, I think, understanding of what the process is of turning a layperson into a professional than probably most places have because we have the, the, the um, capacity to be able to think collectively as a community in so many different ways about these particular problems and to share them with each other in a respectful way that gets incorporated by other people. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I think that's one of the things that I was very grateful to find when I moved to medical education research to see the diversity in thinking and perspectives and, and having the opportunity to engage with that diversity with people. What, what have you learned about yourself as a person during that process? <laughs> um, well, it's certainly, uh, um, I, I think, because I really love learning new things. I like, I really love getting the opportunity to work with somebody like a systems engineer. It's like systems engineering. Okay. I've never thought about that. Teach me about it. Um, and so for me, I've, I've just, I've just learned the, um, the incredible enjoyment and pleasure of, of having somebody kind of grab me by my assumptions and, and knock me around a little bit. Because um, it's really, it's just a, it's just so interesting to try to understand how these different perspectives matter. Um, and one of the um, things I did discover early is that the only way that I can help a person, support a person to become the best version of them that they can be 
uh, is to learn a whole lot about the way in which they think and the ways in which they um, um, approach problems. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that, you know, has an interesting residue um, all of my interactions and have an interesting residue on my own thinking about the ways in which um, I understand the world. And uh, so I would say that it has, um, it's, it's really caused me to, to have a, um, uh, a, a very, very wide sort of range of thinking about problems um, and a, and a, um, a recognition, not necessarily capacity to take on all of those perspectives, but a recognition of the value of those perspectives that um, that create a situation in which I am hugely dependent on the people around me because I can feel that it's the right kind of way of thinking about something, but I don't have the right capacity to think that way um, as effectively as I should. And so I need other people for the purposes of being able to help me think about problems and and to help me support others in the ways that they think about problems. Thank you for sharing that. We're about to wrap up the, the interview, but I have a couple of more uh, questions for you. Among that diversity of meeting people and talking to everybody, uh, what's next for you as a scientist? And as a leader too, if you wanna share that. Yeah, I have no idea. It, it'll depend on who walks in the door next. <laughs> um, I, you know, I've, I've um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, the stuff that I've been um, um, learning about uh, lately is implementation scientist. I've got a, a colleague at the University of Edmonton who's in that space of trying to figure out how to express her implementation science ideas in a way that makes sense to the medical education, health professions, education community. Um, and... Uh, and so I'm spending a whole lot of time learning about implementation science these days. Um, and uh, I don't know that it's going to be, you know, my next thing. I don't know that I have a next thing. Um, but uh, it's certainly the, the, the space where I'm investing my energy these days as I'm starting to try to appreciate and understand um, a more sophisticated way of thinking about what the... Um, what an innovation is and, and what it takes to have an innovation actually achieve its desired goals um, rather than simply being metabolized by the current system in such a way that it doesn't have the impact that it had, in, that had been intended when it was implemented in the first place. Good. So at the beginning, and this is my final question, at the beginning, you, you mentioned that you kind of you stumbled in this community. You were given the opportunity to, to be here. You were looking for a job and this is where you happen to find one. Where do you think you will be if you weren't here? If you had the, the, the possibility to choose at that moment? Uh, if, I, if I'd made the other choice? Oh, if you, um, if you could have make any choice. Any choice. Uh, uh, well, like, I, you know, I guess, uh, I guess that... Um, my choices, my choices were limited at the time. Um, I, I can imagine uh, myself having taken the path of, of cognitive psychology. Um, I've, I continue to be fascinated and, and it is the cornerstone of the way that I still frame all of the problems when I, when I engage with people. I'm just fascinated by, by the ways in which people 
think and frame the world and understand the world and interpret what's going on and respond as a result of all of that. Um, and I'm, I'm just fascinated by the way that the, that the, that the human mind and human brain works. Um, but, you know, one of my, one of my earliest things was like thinking about the fact that we can, most of us uh, on the fly can, if asked, can remember the name of our grade three teacher. Um, like, how do you do that? Like, how, like, so, so the, like, how do people do that? Um, is just something that's just been fascinating to me and continues to be fascinating to me. So if I hadn't found medical education, I could, um, I could easily imagine myself continuing to be uh, in a cognitive psychology space and, and playing with that. Um, that said, I am thrilled that that didn't happen. It was uh, serendipity, but uh, uh, fortuitous serendipity that I found myself in a situation where I was able to um, um, break the constraints of psychology um, and, and find myself in a space where I could be um, engaging with such a wide variety of people. Um, I think if I had ended up in cognitive psychology, my world would have been relatively limited to cognitive psychology. Um, and uh, while I, I would have, I, I'm sure that I would have been happy, um, I'm quite also sure that I would not have the, the depth and breadth of experience and engagement with, um, with different ways of thinking um, that medical education has afforded me. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Glenn. It has been a real pleasure talking to you. I appreciate your uh, willingness to share with, with us some of parts of your journey. We could have talked long hours about each of those, but really appreciated being able to share with our listeners all those snippets about what has been for you to get into the community and help many of us uh, be where, where we are now. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners and see you in the next episode. This has been The Curiosity Habit. This podcast is hosted by Saira Cristancho and produced by Monica Molinero. You can find all our episodes on podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.